Thank you for tuning in to the Jiro Chop Sui podcast. I'm adding this note before the episode starts to let you all know that the audio in the first 20 minutes or so is a little bit off and wonky. I tried my best to fix it, but this is the best that I could do with the tools that I have. So with that, please enjoy episode 67 of the Jiro Chop Sui podcast. Salutations, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, on this very special edition of the Post-World Championships episode. At least that's what I'm calling it. So this episode will be dedicated to all post-championships discussion, including the Marius Visa Q&A Lots of big news happening in the world of judo, so I'm not going to waste any time. I want to get right to it. And listen, if you've been following my social media, you've been following me on at Lavita Judoka on Twitter or at Lavita Judoka on Instagram, I think many of you are going to figure out and know already what I'm going to lead with with regards to the world championships and what the vision. Now, normally when I do these type of uh, post-tournament reviews, I like starting from the lighter weights. On all the way up to the heavyweights, but I am going to start with the under 81 kilo division, and that's for good reason, and for good reason that uh, with regards to what happened on the mats, but a bigger reason of what's happening off the mats. So let's start with the most important thing here. Sagi Muki of Israel is now your under 81 kilo world champion. Now, before I get into to some of the details of this match and some of the fallout of this match. This is the only division, well, this and the under 63 kilo division was the only division where I watched the elimination rounds. Given that I'm in the the, the East Coast, United States, and obviously where Tokyo is, I believe there's about an 11-hour difference in time. Actually, I just double-checked. It's actually a 13-hour difference in time. So many of the elimination matches started when I was sound asleep, and I just... I was not willing to wake up and and watch those matches uh, in the middle of the night. I I did wake up for these under 81 and under 63 kilo elimination matches because I was happened to have a hard time sleeping that night. I think I woke up at uh, 3 in the morning and I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to sit there and watch the world championships until I have to go to work at uh, at 8 o'clock. So that's exactly what I did, and I was exhausted that day, but I was treated, as soon as I turned on the TV, I was treated to the Saeed Molai and Kazan Kamarzaev round four matchup, and what a fantastic match that was. But I'm going to get into uh, Saeed Molai in a little bit. I want to talk about Sagi Muki and give him his due because he is the under 81 kilo world champion. And and what a a great run that he had that day. I got to tell you, I I think I predicted that that, uh, Frank DeWitt was going to walk away with this this, uh, world championship, but he ended up getting bounced out pretty early. So Sagi Muki ended up fighting Matthias Kasse, and he managed to get a score within about 2 minutes and 30 seconds of their matchup. I thought Sagi Muki had Kasse in in control throughout this entire match. I didn't think he was in any way, shape, or, danger, shape or form a, a, uh, threatened by Kasse. And I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Kasse because he is the silver medalist of the world championships. But I could just tell right away that this was... There was no way that Sagi Muki was going to lose this match. Namuki ended up earning a, a Wazari Awasete Ipon via Ipon Seinagi toward the very end of that match. Now, I, I think had he not gotten the score earlier in the match, that this particular throw would have certainly earned him an Ipon, in my opinion. Now, I'd like to add with regards to Muki and his path to the final of the World Championships, I, I got to say... I really think that his path was not as difficult as certainly other people had to face to who earned their gold medals. I don't believe he faced anybody in the top 20 uh, all the way up to his final with Kase. Now, I'm not certain what his Kase's ranking was before the World Championships. Now, he's currently ranked number three. 
Now, for the bronze medal winners, Luka Meiser-Daze of Georgia defeated Saeed Moulay of Iran, and Antoine Valois-Fortier of Canada defeated Mohamed Abdelal of Egypt. Now, I want to make a quick note about Mohamed Abdelal and his despicable actions at the World Championships. So, Sagi Muki had to defeat Abdelal in, um, in the semifinal in order to reach the gold medal match. And Abdelal, quite frankly, was not really a, a good matchup for Muki. He, uh, Muki just threw out the entire rest of the day with all of his opponents, handled them with relative ease. Now, granted, look, I know at this level, there's no such thing as an easy matchup. I get that. But, you know, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. So at the end of their matchup, when you're supposed to, when the referee declares the winner and you're supposed to ray off the mat, Abdelal, for whatever reason, decided to not only not shake Sagi Muki's hand at the end of the match, but he barely rayed to him once he was declared the winner. And I have a real problem with that. I don't have a problem so much with the lack of handshake because that's not, that's not in the rules. But, but certainly bowing to your opponent when he is declared the winner or if you're declared the winner, it doesn't matter. You're supposed to bow to your opponent and then you step off the mat and then you bow uh, before you walk away to the mat. Those are the rules of judo that's been in place for, for over 100 years now. And I think it's despicable that Abdelal just nodded his head a little bit and walked away. Now, I don't think this is quite the same situation that Saeed Molai is facing with Iran. I think for Mohammed Abdelal, it looked personal to me. Maybe it's not. Maybe he's also getting threatened by the government to not acknowledge Israel or an Israeli in any context. But he did fight him. But, you know, I have a real problem with the lack of the, uh, of the Ray because it is a privilege to compete on the IJF World Tour. It's not a right. And if Abdelal has a problem with bowing to his opponent, if he's an Israeli, if he's got a problem with that, he doesn't have to compete in the IJF World Tour, nor does he have to go to the Olympics to fight for Egypt. It's a privilege. He doesn't have to go. You know, Sagi Muki, the person, has done nothing to Muhammad Abdelal. And in my view, hatred, racism, and anti-Semitism have no place on the IJF World Tour. That was a disgrace. And I, I hope the IJF takes a stand against this, and I'm sure they will. Now, I am spending a lot of time on the under 81 kilo final. And I, I really hate to say this, uh, but it's my podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Matthias Cassé's silver medal is tainted. It's tainted because it should have been Saeed Molai in that final matchup. And it wasn't because... The Iranian government was threatening Saeed Molai and his family on that day. Literally, he was getting phone calls on the sideline from government officials of Iran to pressure him to lose against Kassay and to lose the, the bronze medal matchup that he had against uh, Luka Mysorazde of uh, Georgia. Now, unlike Sagi Muki, Saeed Molai had a pretty tough road uh, heading into the semifinals, he had to go through Kazan Kalmazayev, and he also had to go through Antoine Valois Fortier of Canada, who are both very strong judoka. So Saeed Molai ended up losing to Matthias Kasse in the semifinal, and that match went into golden score, and I thought at the time that Kasse had won that matchup fair and square. And Kasei caught him in, in golden score via Juji Katame. However, it was quite evident that in the bronze medal match that Molai had simply lost all motivation. Now, I saw that from a couple of athletes um, over, you know, over this past week when they were in the bronze medal match instead of what they expected to be in the gold medal match. Uh, I'm looking at you there, Aaron Wolf. But it appeared that Molai had essentially given up that that match in the, the 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 bronze medal match. So so at first like I said at first I thought that Malai was giving a great effort in in the semifinal to try and get to the final where he knew he was going to face Sagi Muki going into that matchup. He knew it 
And I thought, wow, I, I, Molai is actually going to fight Sagi Muki. There's no way he's going to lose to Kase. Uh, but he eventually did. And then, he, he... so here's the story that broke uh, uh, about a day or two after the the 81 kilo final wrapped up. Saeed Molai is now seeking asylum in Germany. Now, news of this broke on a couple of of uh, news websites written in Farsi and one in Hebrew. So I had to use Google Translator. And and by the way, I appreciate the uh, the poster on Reddit that shared the articles. I must give him credit. Now I wasn't sure of the uh, of, of the validity of the story, so I reached out to the IJF. I certainly reached out to to Marius Wieser on his Twitter, uh, knowing that his Q and A was coming up, which was earlier today. Uh, uh, so I'm, as you know, I'm recording this on September second. Now on September first, the IJF released a video of Saeed Malai explaining his situation, and it turns out. Like I said earlier, he was being pressured by government officials. He had friends calling him saying that government officials were at his father's house, uh, putting pressure on him and his family. This is a really despicable situation. And I don't care what your feelings are on Israel or what your feelings are on Middle East politics. The fact remains that Israel is a free country and Iran is not. And Saeed Malai is not a free man and he is not free to pursue his dreams, which should be the basic fundamental right of every human being on this planet. Shame on Iran. I I mean, I am so disgusted by this. Saeed Molai is a great personality, and he was a great under 81 kilo champion, and he should have the right to face Sagi Muki to determine who the true world champion for the under 81 kilo division is. I cannot stress that strongly enough, and it it really makes me angry, and it really makes me upset. If you watch the video, I encourage all of you who are listening to this to go on the the IJF's website or their Twitter account and watch the video of Saeed Malai giving an interview. I've shared it on all of my social media. The video nearly brought, uh, brought a tear to my eye. This guy is in fear of his life. And the IGF had a signed agreement with Iran that this was not going to happen any longer. And I hope the International Olympic Committee is taking a look at this because Iran does not deserve to be in the Olympics next year. So it looks like Saeed Molai is going to be fighting in the future under the refugee flag, um, which I'm going to venture to guess that's the IJF banner. And kudos to the IJF and Marius Wieser for, for doing the right thing here, really the only thing, and, and giving him as much protection as possible. Now, I don't know what kind of protections will be in place for the rest of his family. You know, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw this either. The Iranian uh, judo team did not fly to Tokyo. So it turns out that Saeed Molai was in Tokyo a week before the rest of the team was supposed to arrive. And at the last minute... Um, Iranian, the Iranian Judo Federation cited quote-unquote visa problems as the reason why they could not make it to the world championships, which is a bunch of a baloney. You know, and th- there's another thing I'd like to add, too. Turns out that the, the article by the Jerusalem Post written by Elon Einhorn, he was right. He was spot on the entire time. He, he, w- he caught wind of this story early, and, and the, the Jerusalem Post was, was accurate. Now, I reached out to Mr. Einhorn on, uh, via Facebook Messenger, and, and he told me that, because uh, I, I congratulated him on such an accurate story written several months ago, and you know, he told me that he's personally trained with Sagi Muki and Oren uh, uh, Smagda, as well as a part of being a part of the international or, or the Israeli national team, which I didn't know that he was a judoka himself. I had no idea when I reached out to him initially. So kudos to him for being a, uh, being on top of the story and, and having having the truth of what was actually going to happen well ahead of of everybody else knowing, regardless of what the IJF uh, signed agreement said. So look, I think I've said enough about this under eighty one kilo final and and what I think is the biggest story coming out of the world championships. And I think this is the biggest story coming out of the World Championships because this this go, it has nothing to do with winning and losing. This is a matter of life and death for Saeed Malai and his family.
And as far as I'm concerned, Iran does not deserve Saeed Mullai. All right, so moving on to a much lighter tone here. I want to cover the under 63 kilo final matchup. And that was between Clarissa Bignanu of France versus Miku Tashiro of Japan. And this was an amazing final. I thought maybe Tina Tursenjak might have ended into the, up into the final, but she ended up getting into the bronze medal match. Uh, but this this final matchup lived up to the billing uh, as far as excitement. The the, the home crowd in, in Tokyo was was fired up for it. And this match went into 7 minutes and 11 seconds into its golden score until uh, be, before a... Winner could be determined, and it ended up being Clarissa Pagnenu. She ends up winning her fourth world championship, which is just a remarkable achievement. And if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that I predicted that she would win this division. So I'm not really very surprised. She she won it in spectacular fashion, where she was being about to be thrown with an Ojigari, and then she managed to get out of the throw and immediately follow up with a with an Osotogari. So Tashiro ends up with the silver medal, which I, I got to say, I, and I'm going to cover this a little bit later on in the in the episode, Japan did not have as great a day as one would think in these world championships being, considering that they are in their home country. They only came away with four gold medals, which I, I know I'm saying only har-har, right? But I would have suspected that given that they were in their home country, that they would have walked away with a lot more gold medals. They certainly had a ton of silver medals, that's for sure. But they were there was a lot of Japanese in the final that um, in final matches that where they just did not win. So in one of the bronze medal matchups, it was an all Netherlands uh, Netherlands matchup with Jules Fransen defeating uh, Sané Vermeer. Uh, well, I usually say of the Netherlands, but I just said that. <laughs> but in the other bronze medal contest, you had uh, Martina Trajdos winning the bronze via Fusen Gaichi. Uh, because Tina Turstenjak in her previous semifinal matchup against Miku Tashiro ended up getting a Hansoku Maki for doing a Wakigatami in, in that contest. The decision for Hansoku Maki went to video review, and it was pr- pretty clear after looking at the replay that, that what Turstenjak did to Tashiro with her arm was, was, was dangerous to say the least. I mean, sure, one could argue whether it was a, whether it was a true Wakigatami, but... But that angle and that action, I, I, I think the referees made the right call there. So I think I want to cover, a, I'm going to do cover the divisions a different way. I'm going to probably jump around a bit. I want to jump to the plus 100 kilo final. And I got to say, and I'm, I'm literally, I am not kidding when I say this. That was the most exciting final I have ever watched where nobody threw anybody. And I'm serious. If you actually watch that final for seven minutes or however long, because it went into golden score, the the drama, the excitement of whether or not anybody was going to throw and give an inch or whatever the case may be, it was just, it, it was almost breathtaking. I was at the edge of my seat. So Lucas Kapalik is your plus 100 kilo world champion, and he defeated... Uh, Hawasawa of Japan, who I thought was going to win the world championships. And I, I got to say, seeing Hawasawa lose this world uh, championship and seeing Hawasawa lose against Renair, the Japanese do not and continue and will continue to not have an answer for this division. Hawasawa is a great judoka. And I, I can't even believe I'm going to sound like I'm bashing somebody for getting silver at the world championships or at the Olympics. And I'm not bashing Hawasawa. I just don't think the Japanese have an answer at that division. And when it comes to the Olympics next year in Tokyo, I still don't think the Japanese are going to have an answer. Hawasawa is the best that they got. And, and he's just he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that can get over the hump. And I, it's crazy for me to even say that. And, you know, the thing is, looking at that game plan against Kapalik, it seemed like Hawasawa's strategy was was either Uchimata or, or Ouchigari. That was his strategy. And, and to get into that, to to that position, to, to make one of those throws work, and, and it looked like Kapalik was ready for it. You know, and another thing that I want to add with this matchup, um, and, and you could say the same for a lot of the finals and, and bronze medal matches that I watched, the referees let these guys fight they let them 
the referees did a fantastic job throughout this entire tournament. And and especially with regards to giving up penalties, they did not want the call to be the deciding factor for a medal. And you know, in that and I thought that was evident in this plus one hundred kilo final. I thought the the referees let some penalties slide, but they were not willing to give the third Shido uh, very quickly. They let the, they let them uh, decide the outcome of the match on the tatami. So congratulations to Lucas Kapalik for winning gold. In the one bronze medal match, it was Roy Meyer defeating Guram Tushishvili, who I thought would be one of the favorites to end up in the final if it wasn't going to be Hawasawa. But my goodness, you know, I mentioned this earlier about Aaron Wolf. Tushishvili in this bronze medal match looked very unmotivated and completely uninterested. Uh, Tushishvili lost earlier in the semifinal to, to Hawasawa. And I got to say... The call that went against Sushishvili when Hawasawa threw him with, with uh, Ogoshi, that was a hometown call. I, I don't, I didn't like that call one bit. It should have been a, it, it should have been a Wazari, and I just felt that was one of those situations when it comes to continuation that I, I just didn't think it was the right. I didn't think it was the right call. I mean, I, these referees did a phenomenal job in this tournament, in my opinion. Um, but but I, I would venture to guess that if the referee saw that match again, he might want that back. And, you know, and as a matter of fact, when I'm watching this back all over again, the referee called Ipon <laughs> and, and then he signaled for Osai Komi to, for, for a timer. And he, ne- he never waved off the, the Ipon with his hand signal and, and made it a Wazari. So I, I don't know what happened there. There's a lot of confusion. And I double and triple checked to make sure that he did call a pawn. And, and and he certainly did. And not only that, everybody in the arena thought he called the pawn because I, you could see the scoreboard in the bath, uh, in, in the background show a pawn for Hawasawa. So clearly Tushishvili uh, w- w- was not was disappointed with losing to Hawasawa. And, um, and he, he did not give very good effort in, in that bronze medal match. Now, in the other bronze medal match, you had Rafael Silva of Brazil uh, losing to Min Jong Kim of South Korea. And that match uh, was had a lot of action. I watched that one live, and, and Kim had a very nice Ochigari, uh, kind of like a shovey waza, really. I mean, he kind of hooked the leg and pushed him down, but it was clearly in a pawn. So congrats to Min Jong Kim of South Korea for gold. Now, I said I'm going to jump around a bit. I want to jump around to to the player who I thought if, if there was a an MVP of the tournament, the the most outstanding player or or whatever you want to uh, most valuable player or I don't want to say valuable, but you know what I mean, an MVP. Shohei Ono of the under seventy three kilo division was it. He was dominant all day, and and I, I just think he was the best single player on on. on Throughout the entire world championships. His day started off by defeating Miklos Ungvari in little over a minute with Uchimata. Uh, he stayed on his feet too for good measure, which I thought was pretty impressive. And of course, you know, with Ungvari, it's it's no surprise because I think he's like 52 years old or something like that. I'm kidding. But he is up there in age. He's an old man when it comes to to high-level athletes. He's 38 years old. And it's amazing that he can still compete and hang at that level. But but clearly he was outclassed by Ono. Uh, next up for Ono was uh, Yunus Eyal Slaman of Jordan. Uh, ranked number 85. And he was thrown in a minute with another Uchimata for, Uchimata for Ipon. Uh, then then uh, next up for him was Bilal Sidoglu uh, of Turkey. Who's who? Well, after the tournament, he's ranked number sixteen now. He was beaten with Juji Yatami after a failed uh, Sutemi Waza attack uh, by by the Turkish fighter. Uh, the 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 ref, you know, for people that complain that the refs don't give enough time for mat work uh, on the ground, um, he must have given Ono like thirty five seconds to to work out that Juji Yatami. Now, maybe that's just the hometown discount there, but. Ono was given plenty of time to work that arm free. He was working toward it. It wasn't it wasn't fake effort or anything like that. He was working toward it, and he eventually got that arm. I, I mean, 
I suppose even the strongest person in the world, you're going to give up if you're fighting for 30 seconds on that arm. Now, in Ono's semifinal match, he was he was matched up with uh, Denis uh, Ayaksev of Russia, who was thrown with a beautiful-looking uh, Tomonagi. And, and unlike some of these other throws that I've seen in the tournament, I was stunned that this one wasn't called for Ipon. I thought, I thought it was Ipon-worthy, but... Ono went uh, straight into the Kesa Katami for the Wazari Awaseti Ipon. And in the final of the under 73 kilo division, Ono met up with Rustam Orzhov of Azerbaijan. And he threw them, he threw him in a, in, in a little over a minute with Uchimata as well. And the crowd goes wild. And Ono walks around as if it's business as usual for him, which for somebody of his skill set and caliber, it probably was. Now Orzhov is no slouch either. He's he's a quality, a high quality opponent, and and Ono dispatched him like he was throwing me out there. Now for the bronze medal matches, one of them took over eleven minutes to decide, but uh, Haderov of Azerbaijan defeated uh, Makhmadikov of Tajikistan. And in the other bronze medal match, Denis Ayarksev of Russia manages to defeat uh, Benruzi uh, Kozajoga of. Uh, I'm sure I butchered that name. Also of uh, Tajikistan. Now I'm gonna jump down uh, to the, to another division that caught my eye throughout the week. The under 48 kilo division was won by Daria Biludid, and for good measure, we have a controversy here. I'm gonna call it Hairgate. But before I get into that, I want to talk about the gold medal match that she had against uh, Funa Tonaki of Japan. It was a really really exciting matchup. The crowd was really into it, into it, and and Bilo did. My goodness, I don't know how tall she is or how short Tonaki is, but she looked like a giant out there compared to uh, Funa Tonaki. Now, in this match, one thing that really caught my attention was Bilo did's gripping strategy against Tonaki. It it appeared that she was either going for the sleeve and and waiting to attack once she got her her strong lapel grip. Or she was going for the two-on-one Russian grip. It was really interesting strategy because it was clear she was doing one or the other. And regardless of whether it was one or the other, it appeared to me that Funaki had no real answer uh, for Bilidid's gripping or her length in terms of her ability to reach with her long legs. Now, I kind of talked about uh, Hairgate just a few moments ago. So here's the thing. In one of her earlier matches against Laura Martinez Abdelenda of Spain, she threw her for Ipon with Osoto Gari, except it was pretty clear she had a fistful of hair, uh, uh, of uh, Martinez's hair in her hand when she threw her for Osoto Gari. And then when she got to score, she immediately let go and, and put her hand on the back of her lapel. And that was not the only time in the match that she grabbed her hair. I don't know why she was doing it. It it didn't seem like uh, the, the Spanish fighter's hair was done up in such a way that it was going to cause a lot of interference. And I, I, I don't know why she did it or felt the need to do it, but it did look deliberate to me. And I know a lot of people were up in arms about uh, that not being called the Hansukumaki against, uh, against Bila did, but... But you, you know what? What I'm about to say, I don't live this way myself. But to me, when it comes to competitive sports, when, when everything counts and is on the line, it, it's only cheating if you get caught. And in this instance, Bilodu didn't get caught. So, well, from the rest point of view, she wasn't cheating. Now, I do think moving forward, she's got to be really careful with how, about doing that. Or uh, she should never do that again because you, you can bet that the referees are going to keep an eye on her from here on out. So in the bronze medal matches, uh, Distria Krasnicki of Kosovo uh, defeated uh, who I was just talking about, Laura Martinez Abdelenda of Spain. And in the other bronze medal uh, competition, Utsanseg Monkbot of Mongolia defeated Melanie Clement of France. For me, I, I was not surprised to see Bilo did win this and, and end up in the final. I think I called that in my previous episode, uh, so I got that prediction right. Now, moving on to the under 52 kilo results, we finally, after a year plus, get the match that we have all been waiting for, or at least the match I've been waiting for. Majlinda Kelmendi versus Uta Abe, and it certainly lived up to the hype. The match goes into Golden Score. Abe gets a Kouchigari in Golden Score, but Kelmendi avoids giving up the score. 
She manages to land on her stomach, but but Abe has a really good control of her arm, and she does not give up in the Nawaza situation. So she turns her over and manages to secure after some effort trying to get her leg free, Yokoshio Gatami. And as soon as she did that, the crowd went wild. And really, after about five seconds, Kelmendi was thoroughly exhausted, and she pretty much just laid there. And I, you know, I've been in that situation when you're caught, you're caught. And you know you're not going to get out. Certainly not in the 20 seconds it takes to to score any pawns. So there you go. The match we've all been waiting for. I, I, I won't even go into trying to describe it too much. Because it's one of those must-see. Even if you already know the outcome of the match. It's a must-see match. Now Uta Abe ended up facing uh, Kutuzina of Russia in the final. And Ab- Abe threw her with a huge... Sode Surikomi Goshi for Ipon shortly after the match started. It seems like it was like 30 seconds and she was already on her back. And of course, once again, the crowd goes wild to have a uh, gold medal winner representing Japan. And Uta Abe, is, is that, that's two world championships in a row for her. So, so great job on her. And now speaking of Abe, I want to go to the under 66 kilo division where Hifumi Abe did not win the gold medal. The gold medal went to his teammate Maruyama uh, Yoshiro uh, or Yoshiro Mayuyama, Yoshiro Mayuyama. Sorry about that. Who defeated Lim Wan Kim of South Korea? Now Abe ends up getting a bronze medal, defeating Lombardo of Italy with an Ogoshi. Now this this goes back to I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I don't know how Japan handles its determination for who gets representation in the Olympics. It's possible that with Maruyama winning gold in this division, that Hifumi Abe, for as great as he is, uh, may not represent Japan in the Olympics. And a similar situation happened in the plus 78 kilo division. I'll I'll get to that later, but I want to finish up with the under 66 kilo division. So like like I said, I, I don't know how Japan makes those decisions. But it's quite possible that Maruyama ends up representing Japan in the under 66 kilo division in Tokyo next year. Now, the other bronze medal goes to Denis Fierro of Moldova, who defeated Yondon Paraleni of Mongolia. Hopefully, I got that name right. With a beautiful front Ichimata for Ipon. Now, I think the front Uchimata is one of those throws that used to be called commonly the... Um, Oh, I I can't remember the name. It, uh, for the longest time, people were com- commonly calling it um, by by the. I can't remember his name. Anyway, moving on. So front uchimata. A lot of people used to call it uranagi. Gosh, I wish I can remember the name that other people call it by, but I just can't. So front uchimata. It was really a, a, a fantastic throw. And it's my understanding that Kodokan is now classifying this type of throw as Uchimata. I, I don't I don't know where I read that, but I know I read that somewhere. Um, so, well, anyway, moving along. Canada gets their first world judo champion in history. Krista Delgucci, representing Canada, defeated Tsukasa Yoshida of Japan in the under 57 kilo division. Now, this is one of those situations where I was talking about in my previous episode where athletes switch nations. And they do so in order to have a better chance at winning a medal. Now, while this may be true for Canada, some people out there are thinking, well, she's not really Canadian because she didn't come up through the Canadian ranks. She was over in Japan and then moved to Canada. But the thing is, is that her father, I believe, is Canadian or she certainly has Canadian relatives. So at least the tie is is certainly there. It's, it's not like Krista Del Gucci is representing Egypt or something like that. And, you know, like I said before, I'm not a big fan of athletes uh, switching countries to medal chase. But I I think this situation is a little bit different because she truly does have Canadian ties. So Yoshida Tsukasa uh, gets the the silver medal. And in the bronze medal match, at least one of them, Rafaela Silva of Brazil defeated Sara Leone Siski of France. She's somebody I'm not familiar with, quite frankly, Um, the, the French lady. And in the other bronze medal match, Julia Kowalczyk of Poland defeated Evelina uh, Elivia of Bulgaria. Now moving on to the under 100 kilo division, you had George Fonseca of Portugal dancing his way to his first world judo championship. He earns his first gold medal on the IJF World Tour by defeating Eliasov of Russia. And look, walking out, 
I knew right away who was going to win this match as soon as he walked right out of the uh, the the entryway onto onto the runway onto the mat. I just I just knew it. You could see it in his eyes. You could see his determination. And the thing I love about George Fonseca is that he's like the Ricky Bobby of judo. He he throws big. Or he crashes and burns trying to throw big. And, and that's exactly what he did today. He he went for it all. And he was just fantastic uh, in that gold medal final. And kudos to him too. Because he did not have an easy road getting to that final. Uh, he had to go through Varlam Lipertiliani in the quarterfinal. And he managed to throw him on his back for a pawn. Uh, finally, he, he threw he went for a Sayanagi. And he, and he managed to... To switch directions and, and throw him with like a, a really a, a Kojigari, I suppose. But slammed him right on his back and there was no question about it. Now for the gold, I'm, I'm sorry, for the bronze medal matches. And I mentioned this before. Aaron Wolf defeated Elmar Gasimov of Azerbaijan. Aaron Wolf representing Japan. Boy, Wolf losing to Guram Cho in the quarterfinals seemed to really knock the wind out of his sails. Because... I don't know in that bronze medal match. I know Iron Wolf wanted to be in the gold uh, in the final, but going for bronze, I, you know, I I wish. I mean, if, if Team USA had anybody that could even sniff a bronze medal at the World Championships, I mean, they would be excited and, and rightfully so. Uh, Aaron Wolf looked like he was shopping for bread at the grocery store, like just completely uninterested and just wanted to get out of there. Now, personally, I like shopping for bread at the grocery store, but Aaron Wolf does not. That much I know. And he doesn't like fighting in bronze medal matches either. So he gets the bronze, and in the other matchup, uh, Michael Corral uh, of the Netherlands ended up de- defeating Guram Cho, who had knocked out, uh, who had defeated Aaron Wolf earlier in the day. I gotta tell you what, the Netherlands had a really good day, or a really good week, I should say. They ended up with a gold medal, three bronze medals, a fifth place finish, and two seventh place finishes. That's that's fantastic for Netherlands. They've really come along pretty strong, and they they did better than a lot of other countries. Now I want to move on to the plus seventy eight kilo final and division, um, which I thought was pretty interesting because again it was similar to the plus one hundred kilo final in the sense that nobody actually threw anybody, but while I was watching it, it was a really exciting match. And it was a match between Dallas Ortiz of Cuba, who I thought would have won, um, but but she ended up losing to Akira Sone of Japan. Now, I would have normally expected Sarah Asahina in this final, but Asahina ended up losing in the quarterfinals. And, you know, I was mentioning this about about uh, Himfumi Abe earlier, and, and, and Neil on the telecast was, uh, you know, Neil Adams was talking on the telecast that, with Asahina losing and Akira Sone winning, Sarah Asahina may not represent Japan in the plus 78 kilo division in the Olympics next year. Which is surprising considering, you know, what kind of player she has been you know, over the past couple of years in that division. But understandably so, competition is, is very tough um, on, on that Japanese national team and... Japan is going to send who they think, and again, I don't know the process of how they make those decisions, but clearly with with uh, Sone of Japan winning uh, the world championships in the plus 78 kilo division, that's probably going to lock her up even even if Asahina wins the, the All Japan next year in April. I, I just... I don't. I don't know. I just don't know how they pick that. How they make those determinations. If anybody listening does, please feel free to inform me because I'm I'm curious at how Japan makes those choices. Now, Sarah Asahina did end up getting one of the bronze medals, and unlike Aaron Wolf, she did look interested and motivated in this match. She ended up defeating uh, Maria Athelman of Brazil, and in the other bronze medal match, uh, Kara uh, Kara Sayet of Turkey who was the one to defeat Asahina in the quarterfinal, uh, defeated Beltral Souza of Brazil. Now, moving on to the under 60 kilo division, I'm, I'm going to admit something to you guys. I, I didn't watch this division at all. I tried to watch the at least the final block every single day of the final block with the exception of this division because I, I, I'll, I'll let you in on a little something. I, I don't care about the under 60 kilo division that much. I, I, I don't know why. It's just like one of those things. I, I, don't, I don't care about it. I mean, they've got some great talent. They've put on some exciting matches. I just, I don't know. 
Hopefully, I didn't offend anybody that uh, uh, with that who competes in the under 60 kilo division. It's not personal. Just letting you know. So, the gold medal final was uh, Lukumi uh, Chikvimiani uh, of Georgia defeating Sharafuddin Luftayev of Uzbekistan. And Chick Vimiani won with a beautiful Taya Choshin. You see, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, it was a fantastic throw. I just, just don't care. I, I mean, I do care, but, but I, I don't. It's not like one of those things. I don't. You know what it is? I don't sit there and say, oh, I've got to watch the the uh, the under sixty kilo final. I don't feel that way like I do about the the under seventy threes or the under eighty ones. Like I, I don't have that same excitement for the under sixty kilo division. But but the the throw to win it, or the Tayatoshi was just a thing of beauty. Now in one of the in in one of the bronze medal matches, it was an all Japan matchup with Ryuju Nagayama defeating Naohisa Takato. And the other bronze medal match, it, uh, it was an all Kazakhstan match of Yeldo Smetov defeating Guzman uh, Kurgzervayev, um Well, of Kazakhstan, like I just said. Now, I was a little surprised to see that Armian Papineshvili of Georgia did not make it into the final block. He was bounced out in the fourth round by uh, 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 Kurgzabayev of Kazakhstan. That's probably the only surprise out of that division for me. Now, moving on to the under 70 kilo division, you had Marie-Yves Gahi of France defeating Barbara Timo of Portugal. And, and that, now, I did watch this one live. It was pretty... It, it was, Really interesting to see because it's one of those situations where Timo went in for a throw. She, you know, like a Sayanagi and ended up in the turtle position. But these referees are letting you work. And if you're working on, on the ground, they're going to let the action go. So Marie Ivgahi ended up uh, turning her over and getting the arm bar on her. So she, so Marie Ivgahi is your gold medal winner. The silver goes to uh, Barbara Timo. In the Bronze medal match in this division, Margot Pinot of France defeated Anna Bernholm of Sweden. And in the other bronze medal match, you had Sally Conway of Great Britain defeating uh, Michaela Perleris of of Austria. Now, speaking of Austria, I, I forgot to mention uh, prior to the World Championships that apparently the the head coach of the Austrian team was either fired or let go or something happened like that. So... I don't know what Austria did with um, getting a coach to represent that team, but I got to believe that that puts some of the athletes behind the eight ball in in trying to compete you know, at the highest level at this event. Now, I'm not very surprised about Sally Conway earning a bronze. I thought she, I think I mentioned in the last podcast that I expected her to be up there competing. I mean, you know, within the top seven, but uh Bronze does not surprise me. So Great Britain has a strong, has a very, very strong team on the women's side. Now, the big surprise for me in this division is uh, Chizuru Arai of Japan did not even make it to a medal round. She was the she was the defending world champion from Baku last year, and I believe if I if I recall correctly, I predicted her to win it again, but but she didn't even make it into the final block, and that's very surprising to me. I watched the match that she lost. And uh, I I thought, well, maybe she got injured or something. Nope, just just ended up losing and getting ended up getting a a couple of shitos and and she got bounced out. Now in the final division, if I, I believe I've covered them all, um, in the under seventy eight kilo division, you had Madeline uh, Malgona of France defeating Shori Hamada of Japan, and I gotta tell you. I'm left wondering if Hamada can walk after the throw she suffered at the hands of uh, Malgona because she was thrown for Osotogari. And I, I imagine kneeling on your knees and then somebody that's under 78 kilos or 78 kilos just sitting on top of you while you, while your back is to the ground. I mean, her knees were extended. I'm stunned that she even got up to to ray off the mat and they didn't call you know, somebody with a stretcher. But I, I guess... Uh, I guess that's youth for you. I mean, if if I was thrown like that, I, I I'd be in traction for a month. I know I know that much. So Malgona gets the gets the gold medal. Hamada with the silver. Uh, uh, Maria Aguilar of Brazil earns one of the bronze medal, defeating uh, Patricia Sampaio of Portugal. Uh, Portugal had a nice day too. I believe she, they were third in the medal count. That's fantastic for them. And in the other bronze medal match, you had Loriana Kuka of Kosovo uh, defeating Chiara 
uh, Apotektar of Slovenia. Now, a result that I wanted to take uh, take note is Natalie Powell of Great Britain ended up with a seventh place finish. And I also believe that in my previous episode, I, I, I believe I mentioned her name thinking that uh, she would be in the top seven. If, if I didn't say it, I was certainly thinking it. I, I promise you guys, I, I was. So I think that's going to do it for the world championships. Did I forget a division? Um, Let's see, looking at my notes here. Oh, 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 I did. I did. Sorry about that, guys. The under 90 kilo division was fantastic. Um, And I know this because I did watch it live. Uh, Noel Van to End of the Netherlands defeated uh, Soichiro Mukai of Japan. And he did so with a beautiful um, Osotogari to Kosotogari combination that ended up with a score. It wasn't quite the Ipon. But it was certainly a Wazari um, level score, and it was th- that was beautiful judo. I-, I gotta say. Now the other medal winners, obviously silver going to Mukai. Uh, Nemanja Majdov of Serbia defeated Christian Toth of Hungary. And in the other bronze medal match, you have Axel Clerge of France defeating Marcus Nyman of Sweden. Now figures Clerge uh, <laughs> figures that Clerge. Uh, manages to get a medal on a day where I didn't pick him in my fantasy judo uh, lineup. Uh, thanks, Axel. All right, so that's going to be it for my coverage of the the world championships in terms of results. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to discuss about the world championships, my impression as a whole. I, I, the IJF just does a tremendous job. They... they and Japan was a fantastic host city. The 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 opening, like the um, you, you know where where people walk through uh, when when they're announced for for their matches and stuff was just brilliant. They've got they had this. It looked like water falling from from a uh, from from an entrance, and, and then in the in that water scene or whatever was was the athletes' names and their country, and it, it just was really beautifully done. You have to see it. I can't possibly describe it. But it was it was really really well done. Um, the the camera work was just spot on. They had this feature where they can do this. They have this like three sixty cam where you just kind of it, it it can circle around the athlete. I don't know how they're doing it, but it was just it was just uh, really cool how they used that. Of course they they, they uh, whether it was Neil or or somebody else, they were really playing around with that camera. You know, if somebody was jumping in the air, they were circling three sixty. It was a lot of fun. I know the IJF had several other live cams going. Um, I didn't. I didn't watch them. I, I credit. I credit them for trying something new, but I was not interested in watching them. Granted, I think part of the reason is because most of these matches were happening uh, early in the morning for me, and I, I had to get ready for work, and I was more interested in seeing what the matches were actually uh, of what was actually going on compared to opening up another browser window you know and and seeing a couple of you know people doing rondori or, or something like that i did watch one camera for about 5 minutes after the contest was over it was kind of cool it looked like the training area the staging area for the athletes where they can warm up and stuff but i didn't see anything there that was that, that really captured my attention for any length of time so the presentation was fantastic. The commentary was fantastic. The refereeing was fantastic. And I'm going to say something here that that's probably going to irk a lot of people. You know, when the IJF revised its scoring rules to include Wazari, I was set to Ipon, and now all of these these scores that used to be Coca are now just all Wazari and things like that. I was critical of that initially. But you know what? When I'm watching this as a spectator, and I'm saying this as a spectator only, I, I'm liking it. Because what I do is I'm sitting there watching the matches, and all I'm saying to myself, when somebody gets thrown, I say to myself, is that a score or is that not a score? And it's very, it's easier for me as a consumer to look at that and say, oh, it's a score, it's not a score. And if it's a score, is it any pawn or is it just a wazari? So I guess what I'm saying is that the objective that the IGF had to make watching this easier for the viewer, I I think they achieved that. Now that I've really watched just this entire past year and and really all of the tournaments that I've been watching, but this particular world championship really since the last one, but this particular one, I I watch more judo 
live than I have in any other tournament this year. That's for sure. Now, I want to make something perfectly clear. This does not mean that I think the IJF rules should be applied and practiced throughout all levels of judo throughout the world. So for grassroots level judo, I do not think that this is a this is a rule set that is optimal for for judo development at a recreational level, at a grassroots level. I am strictly talking about international level competition. And I've I've made this case before. I, I'm I'm not going to hammer it too much again, but it is quite possible and very doable to have two separate rules for you know the highest levels of competition and everything from national level and below. I, I just I I I don't think that the way that the IGF has these rules is ideal for for grassroots judo. I I, I do think uh, what Steve Scott's doing with the freestyle judo. I I think you know older judo rules that had the U, the yuko and the koka and and scored ipon and the and for a high standard for ipon and wazari. I think that is critical for for grassroots development. And I think I think having leg grabs in competition is critical for grassroots development because again, not a lot of people or not everyone that starts judo is doing so with the intention of becoming a some kind of some kind of big time competitor. And I, I think across the board, we need you know I think a lot of people not not everybody but a lot of people has to look at judo in a more recreational way instead of looking at a student wondering how far can you take this kid. So I want to talk about the the Ask Visor. Marius Visor had a Twitter Q and A post uh, following the World Championships, and there were some interesting questions. It was interesting to see some of the some of the replies and some of the feedback and backlash to Saeed Molai's uh, issue with not competing in the World Championships. It seems like most people uh, support Saeed Molai and and his uh, his. Um, Desire to seek asylum. It seems like most people are completely against this terrible um, Islamic Republic of Iran regime. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, look, I don't want to belabor the the, the point again, but what what Iran is doing to Saeed Mullai, the Iranian judo team, and the rest of uh, their families is horrible. I can't stress that enough. So, kicking off the Twitter Q&A, uh, Mr. Vizer starts off with, we we encourage you to read our story and watch our video release regarding the Iran situation before sending a question on this topic. Now, I had already sent my question and he did answer it. So I'll start with my own uh, Twitter question. Mr. Vizer, can you confirm if it's true that Saeed Molai has applied for asylum in Germany? Will there be any action taken against Iran for not sending their team to the Judo World Championships and for breaking their signed agreement? Will Saeed Molai compete as a refugee? To that, Mr. Visa responds, We are starting the procedures after the Judo World Championships and we will act accordingly, but it is as well as legal procedure that has to be followed. So here's an interesting one from at E-D-U-L, E-D-E-U-E-L. Why are you not allowing comp- judoka to fight in other combat sports? Uh, Mr. Visor resp- responds to save the judo principles. Uh-oh, I'm sure that's going to stick in some people's craw. <laughs> All right, let's see what's next. Mr. Visor, I want to come to the Olympics to see as much judo as possible. How can we get tickets now? Uh, Mr. Visor responds, hello, please refer to your National Olympic uh, Committee. Yeah, your National Olympic Committee who can tell you authorized ticket outlets for the Tokyo 2020 tickets. Philip underscore Bauer asks in German. Uh, I'm not going to read the German, so I'll translate it for you. Are sanctions against the Iranian Federation conceivable, or is this a political inter- or is this political interference accepted? Uh, Mr. Visa responds. Uh, Soon, the procedure against Iranian Judo Federation will start, and we will act accordingly to our rules, judo principles, and Olympic Charter. Now, there was a Twitter response to that post that goes as follows from at one nine or nine one eight two. Pleasure, Mr. Visor. As Iranian, I'm very happy to hearing that offenders must be punished. I su- hashtag I support Molai. Now, the International Judo Federation is now calling itself hashtag I support Molai. If you go to 
twitter.com forward slash judo. Or if you follow at judo, that's the International Judo Federation official Twitter page. And now uh, for their banner, it says hashtag I support Molai. And, and that's great. I think that's um, it, it's good that the, the International Judo Federation is throwing its full support behind Saeed Molai and, and not standing for this and looking to pursue every action possible. Again, I know I'm again, I'm belaboring this point on Saeed Molai, but clearly this is the biggest story coming out of the world championships. Other, other Iranians are responding on Twitter um, that they, they thank you for their support as well. I, this is the, the situation in Iran is, is not good uh, folks. It's just, Nobody should look at this as an Israel versus Iran thing and take Iran's side. I mean, no no person who supports the right of every man, woman, and child to follow their dreams and set goals for themselves, nobody should be standing with the Iranian government in, in this instance. And, and if you do, you simply have hate in your heart. That's, that's where I stand on that. Uh, another uh, Twitter follower asks, and, and I, I don't, I can't really pronounce the Twitter handle name because it's it's super long. It's not showing up here, so I'll just pose the question. Compared with years ago, decades perhaps, many times athletes bowing to the to each other don't match. Similar procedure is respected much in sumo. Some athletes don't bow when entering and leaving the tatami. My concern is too old fashioned? Question mark. Uh, Mr. Visa responds, the athletes and the coaches are respecting the rules, but to be sincere and sensitive moments of victory or losing, the intensity of the bow is very much different. The bow is an essential part of judo, which again goes back to my issue with the Egyptian not bowing to Sagi Muki when he lost. Now, here's an interesting question again about Saeed Malai. Once Molai will start to represent the refugees team, will his ranking points be restored to zero or will he be able to keep the points that he's earned under the Iranian flag? That's an excellent question. Uh, Mr. Visa responds, we will do our best to protect the results. I, I, don't, I don't know what your best is. And I don't know why one would say that we'll do our best to do it because it almost implies like there's a chance where that might not happen. Perhaps that's a situation where the International Olympic Committee are, are, is looking at this situation and they say, well, he's, he didn't earn these points under the refugee flag. I, I hope that doesn't happen. But I would think as a sports organization, the IJF will do everything in its power to ensure that Saeed Molai keeps his ranking and his points. Here's another interesting question unrelated to Saeed Molai, uh, asked by at DKuti82. What are the plans to help judo grow in the sub in sub-Sahara Africa? For clarification purposes, the IJF supported Nigeria Judo Federation with cash or equipment in the past six years. Uh, Mr. Visa responds, we have supported them, but the problem with the Nigerian judo is that they are sending visa applications to different sport events for a lot of the people which are not at the level of the IJF tour and not necessarily traveling with sporting intentions. Huh, I wonder what that means. At Judo Inside asks... Compliments with the TV coverage. As a commentator of Eurosport, the fans really enjoyed the world. What can be done more to spice up long injury time? Uh, hashtag Ask Visa. 360 cam was nice. Kiss cam, comma, dash, uh, dance cam is maybe too far from judo. <laughs> Stats nice, but more variation. Uh, Mr. Visa responds, uh, we implemented new TV graphics at judo, uh, the Judo World Championships, provided a additional information for such occasions we are actively working to optimize coverage again let me tell you from a production value man the the ijf is up there with regards to the the nfl the nba in in terms of covering the sport and and doing all the nice little extras they do a fantastic job i mean maybe i'd like to see a little more pizzazz in some of the entries but but other than that as far as is covering the sport and, and, and putting it on YouTube for anybody to watch. It, it's just, it's really a great thing. They do a fantastic job. Now, Hans, I'm not sure if you're listening to this. You you work for Eurosport? Is Did I get that right? You, you, com, you comment on Eurosport for judo? That's, I didn't know that. And if that's true, that's, that's pretty cool. That's fantastic. Any, can anybody else confirm whether Hans Van Essen of judoinside.com is a commentator for Eurosport, and if I understood that correctly, thank you. At right judge, I am asks, 
Can you urgently address the inconsistent application of the passivity warning that was seen in this event? Mr. Visa responds, of course, everyone can appreciate their own way, but the referees just apply the rules. Uh, he responds again, right judge, right judge, I am. I kept a list of contests to compare. Where can I send it for examination of the problem? Uh, Mr. Visa responds, you can send to president at IJF.org and we will forward to that department. Thank you for your interest. Yeah, I'm sure your email is going to end up in the spam folder or just straight to trash. <laughs> But that being said, I look, I think the referees got the call right 99% of the time. But I believe the question, the person asking this question does kind of have a valid point. There were times, there were certain contests. You know, I'm thinking of, of the, the plus 78 and the plus 100 kilo contest finals, the gold medal matches, where passivity calls were not being made. And I, I respect the fact that the referees and the IJF want the athletes to determine the outcome of the match as as much as possible but i did but there was a sense of inconsistency but i i think that goes with all sports i mean take basketball for example unless it's blatantly obvious no no referee is going to call you, you know uh a traveling violation in game seven of the of the nba uh, finals you know what i mean they're not going to call that with two minutes left to go in the nba finals unless it's just blatantly obvious and I do think that when it comes to all sports, there is room for uh, referees, judges, officials bending the rules a little bit to allow the athletes to determine the outcome of the match uh, on their own. All right, let's see. Scanning through the um, the questions here. Oh, here's an interesting one. Did, did I read this already? If I did, I apologize. I'm going to read it again if I did. We have been reading a lot about the drama surrounding Saeed Malai, but there was no comment from the IJF about Fethi Noreen, the Algerian judoka who didn't show up for the fight against Tohar Bupul. Are you going to sanction the Algerian Federation for political boycott? Mr. Visa responds, the, the Algerian case will be as well a case of the Ethics Commission. That's interesting. And I, I, I mean, I, I agree with the general premise of the person asking the question. You know, we don't want to turn this issue with Iran into an Iran-only issue. If there are other countries and other federations pulling the same kind of stunts, the IJF needs to go after those countries equally as hard as well. So I, there were a lot of other questions, but they really all surrounded the, the thing was the issue with Saeed Malai in Iran. And I, I, I'm simply not going to respond and read to all of them because I, I I feel like I've covered that almost ad nauseum. I, I just think um, the IJF's handling it the right way and and I think I've covered it to the best of my ability, uh, the, the story fully and thoroughly. I, I don't think I've left any stone unturned. And if you have any questions regarding any of this or anything that I said on the podcast or if you have thoughts or opinions or you just want to tell me off, uh, you can send me an email at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Lavita Judoka. My Instagram is awesome. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lavita Judoka. And if you want to find me on Facebook, you can also search for me, uh, the Judo Chop Suey podcast. And if you're brave enough, you can, you can send me a friend request to my personal account. But again, there are friend requests sitting in purgatory friend requests, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, because I will not respond to people I don't know personally unless they send me a personal message saying, hey, I listened to the podcast. I think you're awesome. You're such a handsome man. You got to say something like that to let me know that you're actually listening to the podcast before I accept you on my personal Facebook page, which, by the way, in terms of social media, that's like the worst one of them all. All right, so I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. On my next episode, I'm going to bore most of you all. It's going to be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu-centric jiu episode, and I have my reasons for that. That's like the gayest sport there is. All right, now wait a minute. I don't know how that soundbite got in there. I I'm sorry, folks. I, I don't feel that way at one bit about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm going to have a, a guest on to talk Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I want to dispel, I want to use the episode as a means to dispel some of the myths 
and some of the ridiculous opinions out there surrounding Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So it's going to be it's going to be very jiu-jitsu centric. Of course, if there's any breaking news judo related that is specific to Saeed Malai or anything happening on the IJF World Tour, I am going to cover that, but I just want to give you all a heads up. This will be uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu centric my next episode. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style.